I'm Jim Motivale, and I'm joined by Peter Bush. Hello. Our guest is Tom Cotter. He's the uh, author of the book Secrets of the Barn Fine Hunter, the new one, The Art of Finding Lost Collector Cars. You may have also seen him on the the uh, YouTube channel of Haggerty with the Barn Fine Hunter show, which is fascinating. It's a treasure hunt every uh, every time finding some amazing cars. Everybody has this fantasy of finding a Porsche Speedster that the <laughs> widow sells for $500, but that that maybe sometimes actually happens, right, Tom? Yeah, I, I found a Speedster and the widow wanted to sell it, but uh, I, I couldn't take advantage of her like that. So we brought it to an auction. It had been her husband's. His, he died of ALS. Mm. She was losing the house. This car was the only asset she had, really. And it wound up going for $325,000 at Hershey. And uh, it was an amazing experience. And, you know, in the middle of the auction, when her car was sold, she looked up at the heavens you know, or, the, or, the, or the ceiling of the banquet room and said, he's still taking care of me. My uh, my twin brother deals in antique books, and he says the same thing. If he comes across a book that's very valuable and the owner has no idea, he does inform them of that fact. Isn't one of these the scenarios that the angry widow just wants to get rid of everything associated with the guy? I don't know if that actually happens either. <laughs> you know, Leno, Leno's got a lot of stories like that. Jay uh, is very, you know, he's the most public car collector in, in probably the world. And so people call him, my husband died, and I get this old chevy in the garage and it turns out to be a 53 corvette or something uh and he often is offered cars for next to nothing like dirt cheap and and he'll say you know what the last thing i need to do is take advantage of a widow if that gets out my career is over so he'll he'll have appraisers go and look at it and, and you know or, or send auction prices and say look i'll pay what it's worth and this is what it's worth we are talking to tom cotter do you do you often find that people overvalue their cars is that more typical? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, in this day of age, if in this day of age, with Barrett Jackson on television, with Bring a Trailer, with YouTube, I mean, with uh, eBay, everybody thinks that their rusty four door Nova is, for some reason, very valuable. That was not the case, you know, fifteen twenty years ago and before. But now, you know, people want to, they literally want to buy the farm. Uh, we, after they sell the car. So, uh, you know, that that's very often the case. And, you know, and the most famous words when you knock on somebody's door is it's not for sale. So somebody's parked a real nice car in their carport or in the driveway or whatever, and it's been there 35 years, and now the chassis rusted through the floors, have holes in it. You know, then, well, I'm just about ready to start restoring it. And I I go crazy. I'm like, wow, you let it, you took a solid car, waited until it was, worthless and now are you going to start restoring it uh but i get into that in the book you know uh, collecting versus hoarding uh i talk to psychologists about it uh <laughs> we're all flicked wow. in some ways hey tom peter bush here how are you sir i'm well you did motor city uh incredible uh car tales i mean that and you, you know your writing is like your on-camera style it's to the point it has a beautiful folksy sort of vibe in secrets. The newest, I think released just what back in May. Yeah. I think it hit the warehouse in May. Yes. Yeah. I, 
what's different about secrets or is it just, you know, just this continuation of the fact that you found more and more great cars? Secrets is my 17th book and it was the easiest book that I've ever written because it's, uh, I didn't have to do research. Like this is all out of my head, out of my experience. You know, it's, I, it's written from my heart. It's autobiographical. Uh, you know, it's, uh, so it's, it's in some ways it's, it's putting my, uh, you know, my heart on the line, telling people that, but I, have done since I'm literally 12 years old looking for old cars and uh, uh, you know, people, Oh, you know, aren't you afraid, you know, people are going to take, take, you know, they're going to know your secrets and you know, there's so many cars guys. There's so many cars. Yeah. I guarantee I could go to Pete's hometown or Jim's hometown or, you know, John Doe's hometown in right. somewhere in, in uh, Idaho. And I would be able to find cars. I, I just have a way to do it. I don't, you know, it's like when those guys, those those old farmers used to look for wells and they'd have that that two sticks and they'd hold the sticks out <laughs> and they could find out where the well was. Yeah. Uh, I, I almost have that same, you know, kind of a sixth sense about where cars are. So, you know, th- so this book is, is, you know, written from my heart. And in some ways I started writing when I was 12 and, and now I'm 68 and it's finally out. My wife tells me that I'm, I'm usually blind as a bat, but I can spot a, a car if it's hidden behind a garage yep. a mile yep. away. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, that's, that's a '59 Cadillac tail fin there. Now you, you don't under, you don't understand, guys. My wife has just said, "Oh God, not another one." Now you know, and my, and my wife says, "Will you look where you're going?" Like you know, like I'll, I'll be looking behind me, and I'll say, "Oh yeah," but did you see that Falcon convertible in the carport? <laughs> But see, the thing is that when it comes to spotting cars, you actually have, it's like x-ray vision and, uh, you know, superpowers. It's, it, most of the time that's turned off, but when you're looking for cars, it's on. See, it's so, never, so, it's never turned off for me. Like I, you're talking to the only, you know, American that was a businessman for 35 years that's never played golf. Like this is all I do. I'm a one trick pony. Wait a minute. You, you don't play, you don't play pickleball. I don't play anything. I'm, I run, and I look for cars. That's all I do. That's. Uh, I think we all share that passion, and and as you know, that this uh, whole collector car arena is just it continues to explode, and uh, it you know valuations as you mentioned before certainly are up. Everybody thinks that whatever's old car is in their driveway is uh, is worth a lot more. Uh, uh, than it was just three or four, let's say pre-pandemic. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've seen a, a a whole turnaround in since the pandemic. It's 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 been unbelievable what yeah. now uh, is considered you know like a barn fine car. I mean, an, an '80s car is a barn fine car now. Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. But you know, you know what? To somebody, whole, it is the whole, the whole I mean, to an old fart like me. To an old fart like me, it, it's not an old car. To oh, yeah. it's only forty two years old, but. To somebody my son's age who's 30, yeah, that's an old car. It's older than he is. So, you know, we all aspire to have the car we wish we had in the high school parking lot as kids. And, you know, that 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 generation is moving up, and the cars that they admire are moving up with them. We are talking to Tom Cotter. He's the author of Secrets of the Barn Find Hunter. I wanted to ask you, I was just up at the Audrain Concorde d'Elegance in Newport, which uh, mm. had to brave some fairly nasty weather, but uh, people did turn out and the cars were there. And I talked to one owner of an old Mercedes and um, 
in some ways his story is a bit of a cautionary tale because though he paid only a thousand dollars for the car, he spent two hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> restoring it. Oh boy! And you know, in the interest of consumer um, protection here, isn't it worth giving a warning to people to be very careful about, uh, you know, entrusting your barn find to a restorer with an open checkbook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, having been on, on all sides of that equation, the shop doesn't want to do that because it'll scare away the customer and they think everything will work out in the end. The owner doesn't want to do that because he doesn't really want to know what the number is and hopes everything will work out in the end. Uh, it, and it usually comes down to nobody wants the spouse to know. Um, but, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you if you think about someone like Paul Russell, who's got the most renowned restoration shop maybe in the world, certainly North America, uh, if it, it's a four or five year waiting list just to get your car in there. And if you can't afford to do it, then he certainly doesn't want to spend the time doing it because it leads to ugliness on the far end, you know, when it's done and, and you, you give a, uh, a price that has an extra zero on it. Like what, what I thought it was be 20,000. Now it's 200,000. So uh, it, it's better to be open, open and all the way through the process. And, uh, uh, and, and it's better for that shop to turn it down rather than, you know, fight this battle at the end because it's, it's ugly and, you know, cars go into receivership and, you know, mechanics liens and it's, and it's all because nobody was really truly honest at the, at the onset. Should you get it in writing? Yeah, you should. Yeah. Um, and and the and the you know the the shops that do it right send out an invoice every month, and it and it lists parts, it lists hours, and it lists you know hazardous materials and cleaning supplies, blah blah, all that stuff. And and you send that every month, and you know that's the way it works best because then instead of a two hundred thousand dollar bill at the end of the deal, uh, you know it's it's ten thousand because you've paid all along. But you know the bigger issue is he paid a thousand dollars for the car; he's got two hundred thousand more in it now. And you know, depending on what model Mercedes it is, you know it it could be worth half that much on a good day. Yeah, that's the but, problem. It is worth it, half. It, it, oh, well. It, you know, it's a Tom, Tonton sedan or something. It's yeah. you know, there's no following for that. It's like building a race car. You and I built a couple. I've I've built two. You know, I I got them for virtually nothing. I must have put 150 in one and <laughs> and 85 in the other. And I'm trying to sell a 2001 BMW 330i full-on track car built by Auto Technic in New Milford. And I mean, I you know, will I get 20, 22 for it? Oh. I don't know. Ah, oh, sad. You know, he. uh he likes rust. He likes dust, as he said. Uh, he eats, sleeps, and breathes cars. He's Tom Cotter. You've seen him on YouTube. You've seen him on Haggerty Channel. Uh, he's here on Old Cars in the Driveway with me, the Bushman, and Jim Motivalli. How did you parlay all of this? How did Haggerty pick up on you? And Because it's just been fabulous ever since. Uh, well, I don't want to give you a long story, but there is a long version of it. Only we have another... 30 minutes. The first book I wrote was The Holman and Moody Story. And it was about this great Ford race team that was in the town that became, you know, my new hometown, Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. And after that book was done, my publisher and I kept on looking around for a uh, another book that I could write. And I didn't want to write a NASCAR book, even though I was involved in NASCAR deeply for 30 years. I, yeah, I just I'm, I'm not really a NASCAR guy. So uh, I drove my I bought a Cobra 
I drove it across the United States with a guy named Peter Egan, who wrote for Road and Track Magazine. And Peter and I drove from San Francisco to Charlotte over nine days in a 289 Cobra with a top down every day, just took our time on two lane roads. And that story appeared in Road and Track. I think it was uh, February 2002. I get a call from a guy and he said, wow, I just read your story. My name is Hugh Barger and I live next door to you. I said, wow, I saw that sign, Barger. But your house is like a half mile from me. But I know Barger Farm and we share a property line. He had cows on one side and I had grass on the other. And so he said, I love the story. I love the Cobra. I'd like to see it. So I went over there that Saturday and he looked at my Cobra. He said, let me show what I have in the barn. In the barn, he had an AC Greyhound and I had an AC Cobra. And I said, (laughs) wow, like two cars off this obscure UK assembly line in houses next to each other. What's the chance? So that car had been sitting there. His father gave it to him in graduate school. Eventually, the brakes uh, started to leak. I think it was a wheel cylinder. Uh, there were no spare parts for the car because they made so few of them. I think they made 57 of them total. And it, so it's, it's still in the bar now. It's been there for 55 years. And so I just talked to my publisher that afternoon. I said, you never guess what happened. My next-door neighbor showed me in his barn. He has an AC. He said, Tom, stop right there. There's your next book. I said, what? He said, The Cobra in the Barn. About finding Bingo. And I That's said, the title, too. And even though his car was not a Cobra, it was an AC Greyhound, uh, he said, I said, I don't know if anybody's interested in finding old cars. I, that's my passion, but I don't think anybody else likes it. He said, if you take a chance on writing it, I'll take a chance on publishing it. And now I've done 11 books on uh, finding old cars. And one day, eight years ago, I got a call from somebody from Haggerty. And she said, you know, we think your books would uh, work really well in a video format. Would you give it a try? Said, wow. Yeah, let's give it a try. And so here we go. Like, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm it's, sure. It's given my, me like a, another career that I wasn't even planning on. Yeah, it, well, it seems to me McKeel's a big fan of yours. He did the opening on this book. Yep, yep. He's yeah, a good so guy. Like a, He's yeah, a good guy. So we have a we have a new like it's a, it's like my extended family are up in Traverse City, Michigan. It's pretty cool. I don't know where I saw this, but I just saw this cartoon, and it showed the United States of Haggerty, and then below it Mexico. Oh, <laughs> and up above, oh, well. above it, Canada, which I think the idea was that Haggerty has been on a huge uh, acquisition and they bought the Greenwich Concord d'Elegance near us in Connecticut and the Detroit Concord. And uh, yeah, they are becoming a big force in the car world now. Oh, my God. They're sponsoring racing. All the IMSA races now are Haggerty. They got the bridge at uh, Lime Rock. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, they're uh, good people, and and yeah. but they have to be aggressive because now they're public, and they have they have quarterly uh, you know reports they have to turn in that <laughs> meet expectations. So, whew, wow, their world has changed. You know what? You've got great company in, in the Haggerty presentation. You know, with with uh, some of the great writers that that, that you know and oh, yeah. that I know, we all know, and yeah. you've got Jay in there, Leno. The, the contributing writing there is brilliant. I was yeah, just reading some Sam Smith. I like his writing a lot. He's a yeah. very colorful writer. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this, Tom, getting back to the barn farm, find hunting. Um, is there one great moment is the, the garage door or the barn door opens and the shaft of light falls <laughs> on. Wow. <laughs> of course, a lot of them are outside, but the ones that are actually in the barn and the cover of the book is great. It shows you pulling back the cover on an E-type Jaguar. Mm. So what was the story of that car? Well, 
Uh, I'm working on a series for Haggerty, and it's called Dunes Mobiles. Back in the 30s, uh, to bring tourists up to northern Michigan in the summertime, a guy started this Dunes Mobile program where he took 1937, 38, 39 Fords, put balloon tires on them, and would give people rides on sand dunes, not at high speeds, but you know, it was a 13 mile ride along Lake Michigan and there's huge sand dunes, the largest moving sand dunes in the world. So this guy that owns this Jaguar, it turns out he has one of the 1948 Ford convertible dunes mobiles, which was the second generation of them. Uh, actually, McKeel Haggerty's father was one of the dunes mobile drivers in high school. Um, and so that'll be a whole, a kind of a documentary will come out. But so I said, what other cars do you have? And he said, well, come on and sell the barn over here. And, and, you know, I, he had all sorts of cool stuff. So if you look at the front cover, behind it, there's a, a, a Buick Woody wagon. There was all sorts of stuff to my uh, right, uh, stuff to my left. Uh, but I said, you know what? I think this could be the cover of my book. Would you mind? He said, not at all. So I promised him I would not say who he was, but he's in uh, mid-central Michigan. Really cool guy. And now his car's on the front cover. Huh. That actually reminds me, uh, Tom, of a... Um... Story I did recently this is a Bridgeport, uh, Connecticut garage put like a 1953 Buick Woody up on a lift to do a little work on it, <laughs> and 40 years later it was still there. They're waiting for parts. <laughs> <laughs> Man, wow. that is one of the weirdest stories I ever heard. That's a great one. That's yeah, right. but this guy, I, I wish I'd actually seen it up there, but uh, I heard about it from the guy who, who actually bought it off the lift. Man. And there wasn't hey, much wrong with it either. Right. Hey, hey, Tom, does the pursuit of, like, finding, you know, all these cars, you've spent so many years in this, you know, like you say, you live and breathe it, you've been doing it since you're 14. Is it, uh, is it get in the way of those uh, project cars that you want to complete yourself? <laughs> Can you take... Time out from the, the fine to work on some of your... Yeah, I mean, right now I'm restoring a Lotus Salon and I'm having a ball with it because it's bite-sized. It's, everything is small and light, which was kind of Colin Chapman's motto, um, add lightness. So I can do everything myself. The only thing I have need help with is I need three other people to help me lift the body onto the frame, but everything else is so small. So I love working on that. Uh, great car. Great car. Yeah, uh, and, yeah a know, guy named David... David uh, Oh gosh, and New Canaan's got one. Brings it to CNC all the time. It's oh, wonderful. It's, they're, they're, it, the best sports car I've ever driven, and I really don't fit in one. You know, I had to take my shoes off to be able to work the pedals. But if you think about turning, it turns. Now, you, you know what did it's Colin like putting Chapman, on? You you don't you don't get in that car. You put it on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did Colin Chapman said what? Add lightness, right? Add lightness. <laughs> Add no so lightness. Uh, that's the car uh, I'm restoring at the moment. I got in a really bad wreck. I race a vintage Corvette. Got in a real bad wreck uh, 18 months ago, totaled the car. And so that was my year and a half project. I had to put a new chassis under it, a new nose, a new tail. And I, I just raced it at Lime Rock again for the first time since 21. And uh, mm. it was it was my old car again. So it's it's half new, but it's it's like George Washington's axe. It's my old car again. Uh, and really the car that I've, I've had as many as, you know, 40, 50 cars. Uh, re, not right around COVID, I, I got rid of about 10. And so I'm about down to about 10 now. Uh, so the car that oh. means most to me, I've got a Cobra, I've got a Shelby Mustang, but my Cunningham, uh, really means a lot to me. I, I was all, I was 
since I'm 20 years old, I was a Bruce Cunningham enthusiast and I got to meet him and meet his family and had all the toys and memorabilia and books and all that stuff. And somebody asked me one day, what would be your ultimate barn find? And I said, well, you know, my whole life I wanted to find a cobra in a barn, but I did. So I've kind of found that. He said, what would be your second ultimate barn find? Wow. Nobody ever asked me that. It would be to find a Cunningham. But that's, they only made 25. That's ridiculous. He says, I know where there's a Cunningham and son of a gun in a basement in Greenville, South Carolina. The second <laughs> Cunningham, the second Cunningham C3 built is now in my garage. And well, so hey. I, I kept it barn findy. Uh, the interior is kind of torn up. The, it's somebody painted a flat black and it's still flat black and kind of ugly. Uh, the chrome is all peeling. Uh, but I rebuilt it mechanically. It's got a Hemi. Uh, 331 with four single barrel carburetors and I went through the brakes and the clutch and all that stuff. So now I, <laughs> it's the perfect car. And I got to tell you this, I can bring it to a, a rat rod show, a concourse d'elegance. I have taken it on tours. I uh, raced it at Lime Rock and Thompson. I did speed trials with it up in Loring, Maine. I have drag raced it. Hill climbed it at Mount Equinox and, and Pocono, Pennsylvania. Uh, there's nothing I can't do with this car. And, you know, like people just scratch their head. Like it was at the SEMA show and, and like the hood was open and it's just like this kind of an ugly looking big blob of a car with a Hemi engine. And people thought it was a Volvo P1800. It was, it's a blast. It's just a blast. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I just had a story that I did with uh, Chuck Schoendorf. Yeah. Chuck's a good friend of mine. Yeah, good guy. He probably has more. Yes. I assume he has more Cunninghams than anybody else. I mean, uh, he and the Revs collection. He yeah, has, you I know, think, four or five of them. Yep, yep. The fifth one is is you know not authentic, but almost authentic. The C two R coupe. Uh, C four. He actually has a great barn find story of finding a Cunningham that was left yep. behind a barn <laughs> in Connecticut. I, I was with him that day. We, we oh, you were. There. Wow. Oh, yeah. We 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 discovered that together uh, in in Eastern Connecticut, and uh, sadly, there was an open garage with nothing in it. You know, fifty feet away, <laughs> but it sat for thirty something years outdoors and. The front cross member just rotted through, and the the front wheels were splayed, and uh, so the bodies can't rust because they're aluminum. But boy, sure as hell, everything else can. Oh, you know? before we run out of time, I did want to ask you: you've just completed this nine thousand mile drive, and I believe that's uh, going to be your next book. Was it from uh, Miami to Alaska or something? Uh, along you know, this is a book that this is an adventure that I'd want I've, I've had on my list. I've done books about Route sixty six, the Lincoln Highway. We drove that in a Model T cross country, and I've I've wanted to do like the ultimate North American road trip, which is Key West, which is mile zero on US one, and um, take two lane roads all the way diagonally across America, no cities, just little towns, uh, and then take the Alaska Highway uh, all the way up to Fairbanks, and then take the Dalton Highway to the literally the end of the road, which is Dead Horse. And we mm. just completed that. My photographer and I, 8,881 miles. Uh, I turned in my manuscript, which is 53,500 words, and he's got 11,500 photos to sift through. <laughs> so did, did you, uh, did you barn find along the way? I guess you never turned that off, right? I never turned it off. So the book is a road trip book. It's about driving, you know, the, the, the great American road, two lane road. Uh, but 
I can't turn it off. So yeah, in Canada, Ford trucks were called Mercury's. I found a whole bunch of Mercury trucks up in British Columbia. I found a, a you think about a Dodge truck, but up there they're called Fargos. And so I found Fargo, Fargo trucks with Hemi engines in them. So I can't turn it off. So the book is a road trip book for anybody to read, but it's got barn find content. You're out there on a country road, two lane highway somewhere, and you see a Woody and a film crew. You know, it's Tom Cotter doing his thing. <laughs> You know, I, I really... I love your passion, Tom. I love the fact that you do. You absolutely are just committed to it. I can relate to that. I've had way too many cars. I I love them. I'm always surprised. I love finding something new. I mean, the pursuit of, of that rare car. It, it oh, just, yeah. It goes on and on and on, and it, and it doesn't leave us. Nope. Nope. It's the only thing I do, and I, I love it. Yeah, I'm 68 years old, and I wake up every day as excited as I was when I was 14 years old. Hey, maybe you'll live to be 104, like that quote I read recently about the guy The guy that lived to be 104 because why? Every yeah, day yeah. is a new adventure, something like that. That's why I'm 104. You know, I heard there was an, on NPR, I heard this several years ago, and they said, you know, what makes you excited, you know, at this age? You've lived so uh, more than a century, whatever. He said, the same things that excited me as a kid excite me as an old man. The same things. I can't, you know, I can't do everything I want to do. If a, if a horse excited me, well, I really can't ride a horse anymore or whatever. But, you know, recently I was looking through an old go-kart magazine. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted a, a racing go-kart. And my family didn't have the money. But I was ex- as excited looking at this Blitz go-kart as you know, I was 65 years old, looking at it as I was when I was 50 years younger. I was excited about that go-kart. I wanted one so bad. I could see myself in it. I could win races. I'm just as excited now. So it, it just all came and registered with me for sure. So, yeah. so here's a uh, key question for both Peter and Tom, which is we're all about the same age and we all have this incredible passion for old cars, but <laughs> is it going to persist in the next generation? I mean, a lot of the the, the, uh, the car shows are making an effort. At, at Audrain, they had the 30 under 30 yeah. category and Hagerty makes a big point of that too. Do you think it's succeeding that we're, this passion is going to continue? I have very strong feelings about this. And, you know, I was as depressed as anybody. Oh, God, what's going to happen? This whole hobby is going to go down the drain. I'm on the advisory board for McPherson College in Kansas. And McPherson is the only school in the world that offers a bachelor's degree in automotive restoration. It's part of the business school. So students have to, you know, take accounting courses and learn languages and science electives. But then they also learn upholstery, metal shaping, engine building, painting, uh, and students are given internships like at Paul Russell Restorations and RM Auctions and the Peterson Museum. And when they come out, they all of them have jobs. If you graduate with a degree from that school, you have a job when you leave. There, there was one girl. Uh, I met her in 2019. Her name was Julia. She was an incoming freshman. She came from, I think, around Salinas, California. And her father like uh, had a, a lowrider pickup truck. And she wanted to build rat rods. That was as a freshman. There was no advisory board meeting in 20 or 21 because of COVID. And I saw her again this year. She was a graduating senior. And she's going to work for Motion Performance up in Wisconsin, which is the premier Ferrari restorer in North America. And she's been hired to be their metal shaper. So she's going to be making you know hoods and fenders for GTOs and 275 GTBs. 
that is the group of people that are going to be in charge of our hobby when we are gone. We gotta, we gotta move it forward. We gotta pass this, pass this passion on. And there are young people that there's such tremendous need for so many different vocations. But for us, the collector car world needs young, new, fresh blood. There's a lot of great guys who are retiring. I know the Piston Foundation is great. I, I MC events for them. Their whole mission is to open up opportunities for young people in terms of um, seed money and or job placement into vocations where um, they can pursue their passion of the automotive uh, business culture. Let me just point out that uh, I did a story recently on a art school in San Francisco that not only has a large old car collection, but it also does courses in auto yeah. restoration. And yeah. um, uh, so there, it is starting to get around this idea of teaching people to be yeah. car restorers. I, I have to stop us now because we're out of time. Oh, bummer. Yes. Mm. Our, our guest has been uh, Peter Bush and I have been talking to Tom Cotter. His new book is called Secrets of the Barn Find Hunter, The Art of Finding Lost Collector Cars. It's out from Motor Books. And um, you can find, what what is he, 14 other books that you can find by him? 17. <laughs> um, we're, um, I just finished the manuscript for number 18. You know? Oh, so boy. I, I figure I got, I got 20 in me at least. So. All right. The, uh, Zoom's cutting us off in less than one minute. Oh, Thank no. you, gentlemen. Tom, right. it's it's been a pleasure. We'll we'll be looking for the Woody down the road, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day, guys. Thank you.